everybody. Welcome back to Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. This is episode 18, and this is my third and probably final part of the Lumber Buying Guide series that I've been doing. In case you hadn't figured it out yet, I'm Shannon, and I'm a lumber nerd. <laughs> I'm a self-professed lumber nerd. And I, I, I say that because I've been woodworking, oh, I don't know, 15, 16 years, I guess, maybe longer. It's hard to tell. But I've always been drawn to the lumber side of things. And that ended up me working for a lumber company. So it was only kind of natural. But I was thinking back over this lumber buying series about how I got started and how I began to source lumber because it's very, very different from how I do it today. And, and not just because I work for a lumber yard and I can literally step outside my office and see several million board feet of teak. Actually, I don't even have to leave my office. There's samples everywhere. So lumber is kind of at my fingertips all the time, but I still have to go outside of the company where I work because we don't necessarily source every species and no one is going to source every single species. But the way I approach buying has changed dramatically because I have a bit of an insider's perspective on how the lumber industry works. Let me rewind about a decade or so, more than a decade, to when I first started buying lumber from, quote, real lumber yards. A lot of us, when we first get started, we're either buying from big box stores, or maybe you're buying from like a Woodcraft or a Rockler. Um, and there's that little bit of intimidation about going to that real lumber yard where they sell stuff in rough sawn format and it's sold by the boar foot. And, you know, you, you have all this... Oh, misconceptions, probably fear um, about going into a lumberyard like that. And I used to show up really with a very little plan. Uh, I, I didn't exactly know how the lumber was sold or I wasn't, you know, I understood the technical definition of what a board foot was, but having the in the field kind of practical knowledge of what a board foot is and how that translates to what I actually need just really wasn't there. So you know, I ended up getting the lumber I needed, but usually being surprised by how much I had to pay for it, always expecting that I was going to pay an arm and a leg and, and never quite sure if I was getting the right stuff, walking away feeling very uncertain. And in many times discovering weeks later that I didn't have enough lumber or to be honest, I usually ended up the way too much lumber. You know, that idea of buy 20% more was already beat into my head when I started buying lumber from uh, actual lumber yards. So I ended up buying a lot more and I usually ended up with way too much more to the point where I have a lumber shed in my backyard that is filled with a lot of lumber, a lot of lumber. And some of those boards I can go in and look and realize I've had that board for 14 years and, and, you know, that can be a good thing. Certainly, you know, starting to build your collection and having lumber on hand can be a really nice thing. But I've also found that the more evolved, no, picky, let's just call it what it is, the pickier I've gotten about the the projects that I build and getting a grain and color match means that that isolated board that I have in the shed just continues to go unused because it's a lot more difficult to put together a cohesive piece of furniture with one board here and one board there. Oftentimes the grain is just doesn't match, the color doesn't match, and there's a lot that you can do to unify color in the finishing process, but I'm too lazy for a lot of that. Adding color and things like that is just not something I want to do. I really like a close to the wood finish. So I end up setting aside that 
particular one species, even though say I'm building something in maple and I have that nice board of maple, unless I can build the entire project out of that single board of maple, I end up going to a lumberyard and buying the project all over again. The point being, those extra boards that I had originally got thinking, oh, well, no big deal, I'll have this for later on, I still have those boards. Maybe I'm unique in this, but a lot of the customers that I deal with day in and day out feel very much the same way. They're buying lumber for the project at hand and they're trying not to keep a lot of material on hand. Unless, of course, they are a lumber reseller, then you know that's inventory that, that needs to be sold. But for the people actually building things and using the lumber to build things, keeping that on hand inventory low is more of the goal because of that fact that when you go and start a new project, you're thinking about that grain and color match and you have a better idea of what you need. The other issue, forgetting about the grain and color match, is a lot of times I will go out to the shed having in my head an idea of the size, the approximate size of board that I need to build the part or parts that um, you know I'm, I'm about to build. And nine times out of 10, the board or boards that I have in my existing collection just won't quite fit the bill. It's a little bit too short or a little bit too narrow, or a lot of times it's it's wide enough for one part, but too narrow for two parts. And you end up with a lot of excess waste. So say you need two four inch wide parts and you've got a six inch wide board. So you rip out that four inch wide piece and then you've got this little strip of two inch left over that is not good for anything. And what ends up happening is that goes in the firewood pile. I remember I used to cut them up into little tiny blanks to make for pins, and that was just terrible. Because one of the things, the smaller the piece of wood that you need, the more interesting that wood really needs to be. If you've ever turned a pin out of just plain old straight grain maple, or walnut. You know, it can be charming because it's made out of wood, but it's kind of boring. You know, regular straight grain stuff over the course of a four inch long pin blank or a six inch long pin blank really is is unremarkable. So rather than cutting those up and, and having this stash of pin blanks building up and building up and building up, it just ends up getting thrown away. So a lot of lumber can go to waste. A lot of lumber can just go unused because it doesn't have the quite match you're looking for. But I think more often than not, until you get to that super picky phase in your woodworking, you're finding boards that just don't quite fit the bill as far as the size that you need. And we all know that lumber is expensive. Heck, guys, I work for a lumber yard and I don't get lumber for free. Um, and even then I find lumber expensive. I'm usually buying at cost. So yeah, it's it's a it's a very, very real problem that we all face. Nobody has managed to find some secret way to buy lumber cheaper. The way that you can figure out how to buy lumber cheaper is to buy lumber more efficiently. So with all of that preamble aside, I'm gonna talk about my, for lack of a better term, system for buying lumber. Now I've talked about this before. I've written an article in Popular Woodworking uh, that featured this. I did a presentation at Woodworking in America years ago on this. I even did a recorded lesson um, that was somewhere in the Popular Woodworking archives on this. And of course, I've talked about this in, in my own business at the Hand Tool School. So if you've been paying attention to anything, any of the stuff coming out of my mouth over the last five, 10 years, this will be a little bit of review, but I still find that people don't follow this. When they come to me at the lumber yard and I get a lot of inquiries, I'm not in sales, folks. I'm the marketing guy there, but I get a lot of inquiries coming my way. People who know me through this podcast or through the Renaissance Woodworker or through Hand Tool School or Instagram, all those things, and they contact me directly 
And, you know, I'm perfectly willing to help. But I would say 99.9% of the time, the inquiries I get, how shall I put this? No, let's just be blunt. They're wrong. <laughs> um, they're lacking information. Um, and I get a lot of people who come to me and say, I need X board feet of this particular species. And, you know, for example, let's say I need 50 board feet of walnut. And that's all I'll get. That's all I'll hear. And it's like, well, what thickness of walnut? What, you know, what is your minimum width? What kind of lengths are you looking for? Just buying by the volume can work in some respects. And this is what's been hammered into our head over the years. Figure out how many board foot you need. Then you can go to the, quote, real lumber yard and not look like an idiot because you're ordering in, in volume. That really doesn't get you very far. And you've heard me talk in the past, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but you've heard me talk in the past about how I think the board foot is starting to go out of fashion. It's becoming less and less of a viable unit of measure. It makes sense in the lumber industry as far as buying and shipping material, but when it comes to buying wood to actually make things, the volumetric unit really falls short in a lot of ways. So my system, if you will, involves building a plan A and a plan B. And there are a couple of things you have, and we're just going to think uh, in terms of, of furniture making, but this would really apply to you know laying a floor in a house, to building um, a timber framed building. You have a parts list. You know, you've done your design, you've figured out how big uh, the frame, uh, the rails and styles for that face frame on the cabinet needs to be. You know how big the sides of that cabinet needs to be. So you've got that parts list. And depending on what type of you know person you are, maybe that parts list is really exact. It's down to the quarter of an inch. Others may round up and give kind of basic dimensions, but you have a pretty accurate idea of how wide the rail is, how wide the style is, how long it needs to be, and the thicknesses of all those things as well. I see the other end of the spectrum. You've got the person that comes to me and says, I need X board feet. Then there's the other person who says, here's my parts list. You know, I need lumber. Well, Going from a parts list to the volume of lumber that you need, that process is called the takeoff. If you have, say, blueprints and, um, you know, we have a whole house and there's all kinds of trim molding and things like that, the takeoff is figuring out how many linear feet of this crown molding profile do we need? And not only how many linear feet, total linear feet, but what are the links we need? You know, how how big is the master bedroom? You could just say, well, add up the, the linear footage in the master bedroom and say it's 100 linear feet in that master bedroom. Well, how long is the long axis of that room? How long is the short axis of the room? If you don't know those things, then you might end up having to splice together multiple pieces of crown, which is certainly possible. That's what scarf joints are for. But maybe it's not desirable. And that's where plan A and plan B comes into play. Plan A would be framing the crown in that master bedroom with no joints, you know, in mid-span. So if you've got a, you know, 24 by, you know, 15 master bedroom, you want a 15-foot piece and another 15-foot piece, and if possible, two 24-foot pieces. Now, that could be pie in the sky, depending on the species you're looking for, but that's plan A. Plan A would be, in an ideal world, I'm going to get those 25-foot links. And let's also think about, you know, is 25-foot, if the room is 25 feet, well, you're probably going to need 26 or 27 feet in order to get the compound miters cut right, in order to cut away any possible checking that may happen as that crown is is, is molded, because it's going to happen, folks. When you take a board and mill it into crown and mill it into any kind of molding, there's going to be a little bit of in-checking. 
working on the end. It's just the way things are as, as, as lumber moves around. So you do need to account for a little bit of that at the end. So maybe you need 27-foot boards. Well, that may be very, very difficult, again, dependent upon the species. So that takeoff is, is going from your parts list and kind of reverse engineering it back to the board, back to how many of that particular part can I get out of one board? And I call that that process certainly is the takeoff as well, but I call it going from your parts list to your lumber shopping list. And your lumber shopping list should have clearly defined really two columns, your plan A column and your plan B column. As we said, plan A is in that ideal world. Say you're building a four poster bed and you've got um, a, a nice 16, 17 inch wide headboard and you would love to have a slab for that headboard. So plan A would be, I wanna find a slab that's 18 to 20 inches is wide and is, you know, let's just say 70 inches long if it's a, a like a king size bed. Well, again, depending upon the species, depending upon the lumber supplier, where you're getting your material, that may or may not be possible. But we're going to put it down as plan A. The headboard's going to come out of one board and these are the dimensions for it. Well, what's plan B? Well, I'm probably going to have to glue up a panel. Well, wouldn't it be cool if I could get a thicker board, resaw it, and book match it? Well, that would be kind of cool looking. So, you know, I go from a 20-inch board to now I need a 10-inch board. Well, that may be a lot more doable. Again, depends upon the species. But now, you know, I'm going to need to resaw that. So I'm going to need, at least, if you're looking at, you know, a finished dimension of around 7 eighths, 3 quarters, then, you know, you're going to need an 8 quarter board. You're also going to need to account for any possible cupping that may happen after resaw there's all kinds of things to think about there that maybe nine quarter might be better off so now my plan b instead of you know plan a being a four quarter uh um 20 by 70 board um and in case i haven't said it before traditionally dimensions are thickness width and length some people will fight me on the position of length some people put length first but everybody i talk to in the lumber industry when you talk about what board you need it's always four quarter by six four quarter by six by ten <laughs> um thickness width and length uh, you can fight me on that all you want in my experience in the time that i've been working for a lumber yard every single one of my customers who buys lumber refers to it as thickness width and length maybe it's just my world Maybe different somewhere outside of North America as well. So again, plan A for that headboard is four quarter by 20 by 70 inches. So plan B could be eight quarter by 10 by 70 inches. Could be very doable. Now, you may possibly need to have a plan C because a 10 inch wide board, again, dependent upon species, could be difficult to come by. 10 inch wide walnut can be very difficult to find. It certainly can be very expensive. So you need to have an understanding of what your lumber supplier or suppliers would normally have. And that can be a matter of a phone call, or you know, you've been there before and you know that they they have a section that's eight and wider, or six and wider boards, and it's pretty common that you can find 10 inch wide boards. That will at least help to inform you to know that your plan B is sufficient. Maybe plan B needs to be a three-board glue-up. In order to get that, that wide 20-inch width that you need, you might need to glue together three different boards. So plan A and plan B, 
maybe super secret plan C could be the end, but I, I don't think you need to necessarily have a plan C um, unless it's a really, really specific part. And like the headboard of the bed we're talking about is really the focal point. That's the showpiece. That's the one that needs the most options plan for it so that you make sure you get the right thing. Because say you have to go to a three board glue up, how important is the grain and color match on those three boards? I would say pretty damn important unless you want to do some sort of contrast and put a different species in the middle or something like that, you've got to really make sure that you've got a great grain color match so you can make a really nice cohesive panel. So maybe the solution there is to buy a longer board that you can cross cut and then glue together into a wider panel. That could be your plan B or your plan C. So uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself because probably one of the first things you need to look at in your parts list is what are the most important pieces of this project I'm building. And I'm just going to stick with this bed um, uh, example. As I said, the most important thing is that headboard. When you look at that bed 20, 30, 40 years from now, you're going to look and focus on that headboard. If you've done it right, it's going to be something you can be super, super proud of. If you've done it wrong, it's going to be a constant point of regret. Boy, I wish I could have gotten something and gotten rid of that sapwood. Boy, I wish I could have gotten a better grain and color match. Man, I wish I could have gotten a live edge slab for that. That's really what my vision was to have a cool live edge, you know, look to that. That is the most important board. And that's what you kind of need to base everything else around. Now, next in this um, four poster bed would be the posts. That's pretty important. <laughs> you can't have a bed without the posts and you're gonna need thick material for that. Unless you wanna start gluing up things, because generally a four poster bed, you're looking around at least 12 quarter, but more than likely you're looking at 16 quarter material. 16 quarter can be very difficult to find. And again, depending upon the species you're looking for, maple could be pretty easy. Cherry might not be as easy. Mahogany, expensive, but actually pretty easy to find 16 quarter, assuming the yard carries genuine mahogany. Some of the African species, they're, they're they're big, they're they're easy to get in thicker cuts. The question is, does your local lumberyard actually carry that? A lot of yards will go up to 12 quarter without a problem. 16 quarter might be a bit more of a special order. So you have to look at that. Not only, you know, the headboard visually is the most important thing, but as far as scarcity, ability to get it, the posts may be the most difficult thing to get because of that thickness. So if you have decided that I'm not going to be able to get that thickness, I'm going to have to glue up my pieces. Well, grain and color match becomes very important there because, you know, that visible glue line could be kind of a point of regret down the road. You really want those posts to look nice. But at the same time, if the posts don't look the best, your headboard, again, has got to be spot on to kind of draw the focus away from the, the, the posts, right? Because there's a visible glue line there. The other thing you're thinking about, say those posts are turned. Well, you know, the best look of a turned piece is usually using a rift sawn uh, material. And if you don't know, rift is when the grain runs uh, kind of about 45 degrees across the thickness of the board. So you get straight grain appearances on all four faces. That looks great once you turn something. You get a nice cohesive look throughout. 
So that's another consideration that could be a limiting factor is it's not just the actual dimensions of the board, but the cut of the board. Can I get rift material? Can I get quartered? Can I get flats on? And you may think about that with your uh, with your headboard as well. So now we're going the next level deeper here. There is uh, a dimension that I need for my plan A and my plan A also would include a rift sawn cut. You know, and you're thinking about grain and color match. Again, if we're, we're talking about posts on, on this bed, it would be nice to be able to cross cut my two footboard posts out of one and my two headboard posts out of one. Not end all be all though, because the posts will be separated by the length of the bed and you know they can be slightly different and the eye won't really catch that. So depending upon their length, you may actually need four separate boards for that. But now you've got to think closely about what's going to be my off cut. If say I'm building a shorter post bed and it has, you know, only four foot posts at the, at the foot and maybe six foot posts at the, at the at the head, you're gonna have offcut there. Can you combine them together and get multiple posts out of one board? That's gonna save a lot of material because 16 quarter is some expensive stuff. So you see what I'm saying? I'm reverse engineering my parts back to an actual board. If I buy one board instead of thinking volumetrically, thinking piece count, if I buy one 16 quarter by four by 96 inch long board, what will that get me? Can I get two bedposts out of that? You know, and what will the waist be? Is the waist six inches? Is the waist 12 inches? Because 12 inches of 16 corner material, what are you going to do with that? You know, is it going to sit around your shop for the next 20 years because there's nothing that can be left with that? Or do you actually have a project that you could build out of that one foot long 16 quarter board? You never know. Um, but that could be a very, very expensive offcut, and it's something to think about. And this is what I'm talking about buying lumber efficiently. The thing that you have to assume is that you're not going to be able to go in and find just that perfect length you're looking for. In most lumber yards, eight foot is short. You know, a lot of boards, unless they end up starting to be off cuts, are really like really exotic species, like getting into rosewoods and ebonies where you're just not going to find eight foot long boards. Those tend to be shorter. Um, uh, retailers that do a lot of shipping are going to stock a lot of shorter material. But really, if you're looking for a four foot board, you have to expect that you're going to go and only find eight foots and you're gonna to have to cut that down. So you have to think about that waste. And that's not just a matter, if you're just thinking board foot wise, volumetrically, you know, that eight foot board has, has a board foot number attached to it. There's a certain amount of board feet in that eight foot 16 quarter piece. And if you only need four feet, um, you, you know, and you're thinking I'm going to buy 20% more. Well, that 20% more could be, could be accounted for in the leftover of that 16 quarter piece. But the reality is I can't actually use anything in my project with that cutoff from that 16 quarter. So I've bought 20% more board foot foot I need, but that 20% is useless because it's in a thickness or a width or, or a length that's not going to fit any other part in my project. You see what I'm saying there? Buying just volumetrically, buying by the board foot and just buying over by 20%, 30%, 50%, isn't gonna get you there. You're gonna end up falling short unless you're building a project that has everything all about the same size. But you have to start looking at your parts list and going back and kind of building it into boards. I actually will do this graphically in SketchUp. I'll have my parts list and I'll start actually, I'll kind of drag my parts and nest them into boards, into kind of 
rectangles that I've drawn up in SketchUp. Have you ever seen like a plywood cutting diagram where there's that four by eight sheet and you can see all the parts that are nested together in there? I'll do the same thing in, in boards. I know that I can go to a lumber yard and I can very easily find a six inch wide by eight foot long board um, in any number of thicknesses from four quarter to six to eight to 12 quarter. So I'll, I'll draw out a rectangle that's six inches wide and eight feet long and I'll start actually nesting my parts in there and figuring out what parts can I get out of that board. More importantly, what parts in my project do I need to focus on grain and color match? You know, if I've got two parts next to one another or I'm building a, a face frame on a, on, a, on a cabinet, I really want those rails and styles to blend together. So I want to try to get my rails and styles all out of the same board. And that's important to start nesting together and reverse engineering from rail and style to board or boards. So your shopping list ends up being pieces, pieces of boards. I need four quarter by six by eight foot piece of cherry. I need four of those, four boards, four quarter by six by eight. Um, I need two boards, 12 quarter by four by eight um, in order to get, you know, the, the, the posts that I'm building for this, this bed. I'm back to the bed analogy again. And you continue all the way through your project. So when you go to the lumber yard, you have a shopping list that's in terms of boards. So when you step up to the rack, you step up to the cherry, to the walnut, to the maple rack, and you look at your shopping list and you say, okay, here's the four quarter. On the four quarter list, I need four pieces, a four quarter, six inches wide by eight feet long. And you grab your tape measure and you start pulling out the boards that match that. And then you start thinking about grain and color match. Maybe you've got a note on there that says these boards need to be riffs on or these boards need are okay to be flats on. But you also know what parts are meant to come out of that board and how important those parts are that they match one another, that they be free of knots, that they have a certain grain appearance to them. Maybe you're sticking a molding out of it. So you really want nice straight grain material there where you're looking at a flats on board that's got a cathedral down the middle. Either side of the cathedral is going to be straight grain rift material. So maybe you buy a wider board specifically to rip the edges out in order to be used as molding. And that center cathedral part could end up being waste or could end up falling into maybe another part that doesn't have to have the perfect grain match to it. These are all the things you're thinking of. And because you, as the builder, know what parts you're going to make out of that board, you end up being a hell of a lot more efficient in the material that you're buying. So you can then call your lumber yard and say, I do need this many board feet, but I need to make sure that I've got four pieces of four quarter by six by eight. I need to make sure that I've got at least this many pieces of 16 quarter. And this is how we, we deal with this day in and day out. Um, I'm talking specifically about the lumber yard where I work. When the, when the contractors, when the builders call us, some of them are savvy and they know to buy by the board foot. And if they don't give any more than that, our sales guys immediately turn around and start asking, well, how are you going to build this? What do you, what do you, doing with this material? Is there a way that we can kind of value engineer this to make sure that you're buying efficiently here? We get a lot of people who call and are looking for all 12 foot material. And it's like, well, what are you building? Well, I'm building a bunch of stuff and it turns out the parts are only three feet long. And they're thinking if I buy 12 foot material, I can get four parts out of that one board. Well, that's great. And that would be your plan A, but what if we don't have 12 foot? Or maybe we only have, you know, a, a half the volume they need of 12 foot. Well, we know that what you're looking for is parts that are multiples of three feet. 
So we might have a whole ton of nine foot. You know, we can't fill the order with 12 foot, but we could fill the entire order with nine foot. And at least you're not ending up with that weird off cut. So here again, an understanding of what you're actually going to build and how your parts factor into those boards is imperative in creating that lumber shopping list. And honestly, as, as, a, as a woodworker, as the person building that piece of furniture, I find this exercise of reverse engineering the parts list back to the board is incredibly helpful because it allows me to kind of walk through the build process in my head and think about how am I going to do this? How am I going to cut this out? You know, when am I going to do this? Um, what point will I cut the joinery? How do I make sure that, you know, I'm resawing that board and it doesn't cut ter- terribly on me? How do I treat these pieces differently? And it, it allows you to anticipate and identify potential, you know, whoops moments, gotcha moments in the piece that you may think, you know what, this could be dicey. I could potentially end up, you know, not getting what I need out of these two boards. So I probably should buy one more board of this size. And that is where the overbuying by 20% comes from. And it's not really 20%. It's overbuying by an extra board. A lot of times if I'm building like a chest of drawers and I'm building all the drawer parts and like the backer panels and all the dust frames and things out of a secondary wood, I will add up all that material. I'll take all those parts, reverse engineering them back into into boards, and I'll say I end up needing three boards to do that. I will buy two extra boards in that secondary material because there's all kinds of things that could go wrong. There's so many parts coming out of that. Those two extra boards will be helpful and because it's in a secondary material, and I tend to build my secondaries are, you know, pine, cypress, um, soft maple, poplar, those are pretty common. Those species I can always use. Like if I have that one board sitting in the shed of poplar, I can use that anywhere I go because from a secondary perspective, I'm not really paying much attention to grain and color match. So that one isolated board will always find a use. It's the primary species that that grain and color match is so important. And having that extra board, not to mention the primary species tend to be a lot more expensive than your secondaries, your poplars. So this is this is an area where you can just kind of a little bit more glibly say, okay, just throw in two extra boards and that way I'm covered on my secondary parts. Because let's face it, drawer backs, drawer sides, drawer bottoms, you know, there's a lot of different parts there. And sometimes, you know, it's like, oh man, I don't want to reverse on engineer all this. You kind of get in the ballpark, add a couple extra boards and you know you're good to go. So you don't end up with that weird eight inch long offcut that has no use and just goes ends up on the firewood pile. So that process, again, building out your plan A and then figuring out what if I can't get that, what will my plan B be? And nine times out of 10, plan B is a result of you need some wider piece. And the plan B is going to be I'm going to have to glue up to make that wider panel. Or maybe you're just, you really, really, really want to have rift or quartered material for the drawer fronts on this case, or rift material for the long bed rails on that bed we're talking about, and you're just not sure you're going to be able to find that. Well, you can go to the lumber yard and you can look for rift material. Nine times out of 10, you're not going to find a separate section that's just rifts on. Unless it's white oak, you're probably not going to find it. And even then, that material is going to be rift and quartered, and you're going to have to sort out the rift to find it. You're going to be looking for flat flats on boards where there's going to be rift in the flats on. As I said earlier, 
a centered cathedral pattern on a flats on board is flanked by rift and quartered material because of the curvature of, of the growth rings. Um, you're going to end up with that stuff. And what you may, you may be looking for four inch wide rift material and you end up buying a 10 inch wide board and you're going to rip that center cathedral out, like I said earlier. So there are plan B's that can come just by saying, you know, instead of thinking necessarily the plan B is going to be just gluing parts together, and make a wider board. Sometimes plan B is buying a wider board than you need and ripping out the the rift material that you really need for your part. The other thing can be just species availability. If my focal point, I really want to use Zeracote for the focal point, for the drawer fronts, for the headboard on that bed. Um, you know, who carries Zeracote? Well, that gets to be a little bit easier. You can start making some phone calls. That's where buying online, like I talked about in my last episode, can be really beneficial. You're buying that focal, that 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 showpiece of that entire project and you're looking for that specific dimension. So your plan A is go to another lumber yard or go online in order to find that particular piece. And plan B, if I can't find that zero cote, how, what can my plan B be there? Maybe it's a, a, a different species altogether. But even plan B, you're reverse engineering the parts list back to the board and you're building your lumber shopping list. So now you can go to your lumber yard, whether you're going there in person and hand selecting the boards, or you're calling somebody up and and having them pull the boards for you, you have a much better idea of the must-haves. And if that's not possible, how do I fall back on that? And that's what's so important. That plan B prevents us from compromising on the fly and ending up not having what you need or, or not having enough or having that remorse and ending up paying more because you got a bunch of leftover stuff because you just weren't sure. You weren't prepared with that plan B and you panicked. And okay, we'll just add three boards there. And really all you needed was one board that met this particular dimension or was this particular length in order to glue up into a wide panel. That's about buying efficiently. And Anytime I've got a customer that does call me, this does happen, it's very rare, but when I have a customer that calls me and says, I need 200 board feet of walnut, I'm building a series of chairs, and what I really need is to make sure that I can get this width, and I need links that match multiples of three feet. At that point, that person immediately has my respect because this is somebody who's really thought through their build process and what's important to them from a design perspective, from a construction perspective, from a stability and durability perspective. These are all important things that just buying by the board foot won't tell you how to do it. So long story short, you've gotta have your parts list and you've got to know what parts you need and what's important about those parts, be it grain, color, length, width, thickness. And then you've got to understand how does that translate to the raw lumber that I'm buying? And what if my material, or excuse me, what if my dealer doesn't sell rough sawn material? They only sell S4S or S2S. Well, how is that going to affect things? Like if I need to buy something specifically to resaw it, what kind of thickness am I going to need? Because they've already planed it away and it's seven eighths or it's three quarters of an inch thick. Well, that may totally change the, the, the deal. And there's a lot of um, retailers, especially who will sell an eight quarter board. They call it eight quarter, but it's 
S2S surfaced on two sides, and it's not actually eight quarter. It's, you know, one and seven eighths or one and three quarters in some instances. And you may be planning to resaw that eight quarter board with a razor thin uh, waste margin. And suddenly now that it's surfaced and it's one and seven eighths or one and three quarters, that's not thick enough. And you're not going to be able to get your two parts out of that. So you've got to plan for that and you've got to call them and say, well, is your eight quarter surfaced? What is the, the net dimension of that? This is the other thing. When you're ordering four-quarter material, you need to have in mind what is your nominal dimension? What dimension am I hoping to net out of this once it's planed? And and you know, sometimes you can get away with four-quarter and, and get really thick parts. You know, if you are really careful about how you mill it, you can take a four-quarter board and easily get 15 sixteenths out of it. If you're able to cross cut it down into shorter lengths and get rid of some bow and things like that. But if you need an eight foot piece that is seven eighths of an inch, buying four quarter could be a really, really big gamble. And you might need to buy five quarter instead and make sure that that lumberyard actually carries five quarter. You see what I'm getting at here? There's so many variables at play that just calling somebody up and saying, I need 200 board feet, you are almost guaranteed to end up with a lot of excess lumber or not enough lumber and a lot of waste, a lot of waste, folks. A lot of those eight inch offcuts and a lot of boards with long skinny pieces that were ripped away that are completely useless for anything but the firewood pile. And that is where we end up wasting a lot of money. And where this whole idea of, man, lumber is so expensive. I got shafted a lumber yard because I can't use any of this stuff. If you've come home with a bunch of lumber and you've realized you can't use it on your project, the only person to blame is yourself. You did not prepare and you weren't organized when you went into there. And we've all been there. We have all done this. We've all walked into a lumber yard and gotten starry eyed like a kid in a candy store looking at all this great lumber and you end up impulse buying, you know, or you get daunted and intimidated by these stacks of lumber and you just kind of panic and you just start pulling boards off and you lose track of what you're actually trying to buy because you didn't actually build a lumber shopping list. That lumber shopping list should be precise. I need X pieces of this thickness by this width, by this length in this species. And if necessary, this particular grain orientation. And oh, by the way, those three pieces need to have a good color match between them. These are all the things that need to be written on your lumber shopping list. Very detailed, but also bulletized. So you can very easily go three pieces, four pieces, one piece of this, and and, and check off exactly what's needed in each one of those. Think of it this way. If you can't make a phone call and very easily go down your list and tell your lumber supplier what you need, you're not there. You need to organize better and plan better so that you've got that shopping list that you could go to and very quickly get the gallon of milk, get the carton of eggs and get the cheese and go home and not have your wife mad at you because you didn't get the right stuff. This is what we're talking about. It's not just a board foot list. So you've got to think about this. I don't care what the project is, how big the project, how small the project, you have got to organize and go from parts list to lumber shopping list. So let me know if you have questions about this process, guys. Uh, I've thrown a lot of examples out there kind of on the fly. I think once you walk through the process yourself and go from your parts list and, and build those back into boards, it'll start to make a lot of sense. But the whole plan A, plan B thing can be a little bit confusing because sometimes people don't know what is possible. So the last thing I'll leave you with When you're thinking about plan B, have an understanding of grades. If you haven't listened to the grading episode that I did, I 
It was way, way back. It might've been episode two or three. I talked about uh, standard North American Hardwood Lumber Association grades, NHLA lumber grades. Those lumber grades set a, a minimum board size and a minimum cutting size for uh, clear pieces for the grades. So FAS first and second, that's the top grade in NHLA lumber, says that the board must be at minimum six inches wide by eight feet long in order to be FAS. And you must be able to get... Um, 83% of the board, 83.3% of the board needs to be clear of defects. But there's also a cutting grade in there that says you need to be able to get a four inch by six foot long board out of that that is totally clear. So understanding those grades starts to tell you, let's go back to the bed example. It starts to tell you what boards they are going to have available. If you call the lumberyard, if you've been to the lumberyard and you know they have mostly FAS. In today's world, most of our lumberyards carry like 90% FAS grade lumber because that's what the market demands. You will find a lot of sawmills who are carrying um, select, which is FAS on one face and number one common. Rarely are you gonna find number two and definitely not number three common unless it's specifically a sawmill that supplies to the flooring industry, in which case the flooring industry can use narrow and short and one face all day long, and they can use number two and number three common pretty, pretty easily. So you got to know the place that I go to carries a lot of number one common. That's great because it's super cheap. The place that I go to is pretty much all FAS. So that headboard I'm looking at, it was 20 inches wide. I want to be able to get, um, you know, a two board glue up out of that. Well, it's going to be 10 inch wide boards. I don't know if they're going to have that, but what do I do know they have? I do know they carry FAS material. And what I know about FAS is the board must be at least six inches wide and eight feet long in order to be an FAS grade. Well, how many times does six go into my 20 inch um, wide piece? Well, you're going to need four boards in order to glue up and get that 20 inch wide piece. You'll end up with an overage of, of four inches, obviously four times six is 24. But I know that my absolute, you know, worst case scenario, plan E could be buy four boards with a good green and color match. And I can glue that together to get my headboard. I know that that's possible because I know that FAS grade dictates that six inch minimum width. And this is where an understanding of the grades can really help you. And I talked about this in the grading episode. So if that Plan A is easy, right? We know the ideal world. We know what we would love to have. Plan B gets a little bit weird. And that's where you can, you know, with not a lot of experience buying from a lumber yard, you can get really confused. Well, you know, can I get 10 inch wide boards to glue up that 20 inch wide headboard? I don't know. I don't know if that's possible or not. What you do know is that you're buying FAS. If you're asking for FAS, you're going to get at least six inch wide boards. You can ask for more. You know, you'll find a lot of lumber yards carrying up to eight inches in, in FAS. It's very, very common. So obviously with eight inch wide boards, that's a totally different story. You can get three boards and end up with, with the width that you need. But let the grade dictate your plan B. Um, when it comes to secondary materials, let the grade dictate it. I will always, when I do my parts list to lumber shopping list, that reverse engineering, I will draw out FAS size boards, six inch by eight foot long, and I will fit my parts into there, knowing full well that, especially when you're talking about secondary species, that's pretty much how most of the boards are going to be. You'll find some really nice lumber yards are going to have wider widths of some of those secondary species, um, but for the most part, they're going to be cut to meet the FAS grade and just meet the FAS grade because it doesn't do anybody any good to have a board that's two inches wider because they're not going to get any better price for it, and the price margin on secondary woods is 
so tight to begin with, it doesn't make sense to saw it that way. So you can pretty much guarantee you're gonna get those grade sizes and all of your secondary. So I do all of my secondary wood planning using the grade to dictate it. And if I know that the place I'm buying from carries a lot of number one common, that changes the story altogether. You know, And I know now I'm looking for four inch wide boards. So again, having an understanding of grade will guide you in your plan B. And I do recommend you think about the grade for plan B. Don't get too you know ambitious and, and start looking for 10 inch wide boards unless you're certain that they have them that can be a phone call it can be just a scouting visit to the place to know if that's the case or say the design trumps the the need for narrower boards if you absolutely because of the way the part the part is in that project you must have no more than a two board glue up to get that width well that's that's a non-negotiable and you've got to figure out your plan b you know, your plan A is that single board, but your plan B really needs to be two boards. And you may have to look a little bit further. You may have to make a couple phone calls. You may have to be a little bit pickier in what you're looking for. That I find when that's the necessity that I really have to have two 10 inch wide boards, I find what ends up happening is I end up buying two 12 inch wide boards and ripping them down to get the, the appearance that I need. Or buying a longer board, cross cutting it and gluing those two pieces together into uh, a wider panel. There's a lot of variables, a lot of solutions, but honestly, it's one of my favorite parts of an entire project. The planning out of the grain and color match in a piece is really what makes your project go from good to great. And it's a lot of fun to think of it that way. And what's really great is when you're super organized about this, you go to the lumber yard and you are in and out in 15 minutes because you know exactly what you need, you know exactly the number of pieces, what those dimensions would be, what other ancillary things like grain and color are important. You pick them out, you load them into the car and you head home. And sitting in your shop and laying out those boards for parts is pretty much already done for you. So it becomes very, very efficient. And you move through those opening stages of a project really quickly because you planned ahead. So this, folks, if you take away nothing from this lumber buying series, be prepared. Be prepared. And if you're not certain how to do that, reach out to me. I would love to bring somebody on the show as a guest in the future and walk through this process live. Um, I'm perfectly happy to do that. So if you are feeling really uncertain about this and you've got a specific project in mind and you have a parts list, reach out to me and let me know. And let's get on the air, if you will, and walk through this. I think it would be a really good educational process. And if you are feeling vindictive and you want to play Stump the Podcaster, bring it. Bring it. I welcome the challenge. I would love to see something really, really crazy. Species, weird grain, very, very picky color match, all that fun stuff. It could be a lot of fun to come up with a plan A and plan B for that. So there's the challenge, dear listeners. Let's do this. I would love to do this. I'll do it more than once if you guys like the whole idea. Could be a lot of fun. So with that, I will wrap up this episode. And I do want to take a minute to say thank you to my new patrons over Patreon, specifically Kyle and Spencer, who joined us this week. But more importantly, you guys hit the first milestone goal. So I have started recording videos for the new YouTube show that is going to do species highlights, videos talking about one particular species and doing a deep dive into that species. What are its working properties? Where can it be found? What are the eccentricities of it? Should be a lot of fun. I'm still ironing out some of the details there. I do know that I'm going to publish those videos on my existing Renaissance Woodworker channel. It just it makes more sense rather than starting up a separate channel. Channel. At least for now, I think that makes the most sense. As far as the um, 
uh, frequency. More than likely, it'll be every other week, just like the show, and I'll probably do off a week. So uh, an audio episode will come out. The next week, a video will come out. So that's for now, that's what we're planning. But I'm excited about that. And thank you, everybody, for supporting the show and getting us to that milestone. Um, if you haven't supported the show yet, what's wrong with you? get over to patreon.com slash lumber update and anything you can do goes a really, really long way to, to help me continue to grow this show and continue to come up with new ideas for it. So I am really excited. I hope some of you will take me up on this challenge and reach out to me and let's do this. Let's, let's go from parts list to shopping list and in a, in a live call and could be a lot of fun. All right, folks, that is it for me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and Go buy some lumber. <laughs>